All right, look out now. Here we come. It's uh, the Ron and Don Show. RonandDonRadio.com. And thank you to everybody, the tens of thousands of people that have tuned in to listen to Ron and Don. Ron, a lot of people, though, are having trouble finding us. How can you find us? If you can't find us at RonandDonRadio.com, what can you tell a friend? YouTube's a big deal now, Yeah, right? absolutely. So here's the thing. If you are a little podcast, uh, you're not really well-versed in podcasting. I get it. And so what we did is we had some folks reach out to us and say, you got to do YouTube. We've now got a YouTube channel. So most folks know how to do YouTube. I was talking to my uh, parents today, uh, 79 years young. <laughs> Their dishwasher is clogged up. And so I was explaining to my mom to go to YouTube and watch a video on how to unclog your drain. And so I had to walk her through that. But for everybody else, you know, you just go to YouTube.com. It's Ron and Don Radio uh, is the name, the official name of the channel. And here's the important thing, and and this will really help us out. If you've been, uh, you know, wanting us to do well, when you get there, subscribe. You hit the subscribe button. It's a red button that says subscribe. And right next to it is a bell. When you click the subscribe and the bell, then you'll be notified when a new show drops. And the people that are smarter than me are telling me that, that that's important to the algorithms that look at how everything works. Go to YouTube, RonandDonRadio.com, subscribe in the bell. And just hit Ronadon Radio. So Ron in the search Radio. box, okay. Ronadon Radio, you'll yeah. see our picture. Okay. It's got the new logo. Click subscribe, click the bell. Yeah. You, you surprised at how many people are finding us and how many people are listening? I, I'm, I'm very moved by it. I, I was very moved. I'm very pleasantly surprised. Um, it's, it's, I, I got to say, uh, in, in, uh, I'm going to be a little transparent here. There was a pretty good chunk of time when I looked down my nose at podcasters and I sort of was like, I'm never going to do that. Like, uh, like it was almost, it was, it was like, uh, uh, it was a judgment that I was carrying why, around. Why, why, why was that? I don't know. It seemed because I, 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 there's quite a bit of them, the people that seemed amateurish to me, mm-hmm. that seem like when, when you have done radio for a long time, there are certain just kind of basic, like like the way that you brought us into the show. Like that's something that you learn, uh, not in broadcast school, but just through the years of like, okay, this is how you do it. The music plays is what you say you come in. So there's like a pacing, there's sort of some blocking and tackling fundamentals that were drilled into us over the years. And so when I don't hear when I didn't hear that because that's what I was used to. I was like, listen to this clown. <laughs> uh, and, and so I said to myself that that was not something I would do. It, but all of that to say, now that we're in it, there's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of upside, uh, I think, that, that I wasn't aware of. Now and, you're one of those clowns. And now I'm one of those clowns. Yeah. And even something like I get a great thrill out of being able to go through the man, like the people that have signed up for the, the Ron and Don Nation newsletter. Yeah. And see the actual names. Mm-hmm. Like a radio station never lets you see that type of information. Like you can go into your manager's office and they'll go, uh, we just did an extensive study where we're, it's like, well, tell me this stuff. We, well, we can't. We, we've got a, a high powered firm that, like, so just be able to go through and see. It's like, oh, there's Dennis. He lives in Covington. He's this, you know, he listens to Ron and Don. So, like, you can go through and just see the names. See where people live, see the responses that they get. I find that to be really yeah. rewarding. How do you sign up for uh, the Nation News? And it's how how we can stay in touch with you, right? Yeah, so we're going to send that out every week as well. And you just go to RonandDonRadio.com. It's the first thing there. It's it's email. We're not going to spam you. Uh, we're not selling your information. We're not smart enough to data mine we're, anybody. We are. We're not selling uh, their information. I, I don't know how to data. Do we make money doing 
that? I, I want to sell the remote. I don't know how to data yeah, mine yet. Let's so sell it. If I figure out how to data mine, I'm data mining you. Give us all your information. We're going to sell it. Yeah, but then uh, you'll get the Ron yeah. Nation news, which sort of gives you a little more uh, touch points. And last week when we on. launched, we were on iTunes, and uh, just to get that out of the way, yeah. I guess we're on iTunes. We're on now. iTunes now, and here's cool. the thing with iTunes. They like it. The, the computer, the Apple people, like it when people subscribe. And then also when you get a rating. So the, for in the Apple universe, you give a one to five stars. And then if you type a comment, that's worth more than just yeah. clicking yeah. four stars or five stars. You know, so you type know, a comment and say well, something that you like or dislike. Or you know what I like? People that consume podcasts, it seems like they consume six or seven different podcasts a week. And then they kind of plan a date with you. They're like, hey, this is when I walk my dog every Wednesday, so yeah. I'll take you with. Or uh, I do my is- deep clean every Saturday morning. Yeah, or on Fridays, I'm typically in my car, and I, uh, you know, I'm uh, driving for work, and I have about an hour, so I spend that hour with you. So we really, really appreciate you guys finding us, and we really, really appreciate you listening to us. And how many Rod and Don Nation t-shirts have, have oh, we we're, sold? We're selling some Rod and Don Nation t-shirts, and so my, my brother-in-law is actually selling his house and buying a new house, and yeah. so I... I emailed him right after the show dropped, like, get on the show. He's like, I'm trying to sell my house, man. <laughs> so uh, he's like, so he's he's on it. The nation they're, is keeping him busy with t-shirts. Sh- out. They're shipping them out. And right. so him and Gilly, Gilly is working the press. Okay. Uh, Russ is going to be handling uh, the shipping and Robin and everybody back uh, at, at Ron and on HQ. All right. Very good. Oh, and- so they're, they're gray. Black and white. We have men's and women's. So go to ronadonradio.com and find. Make sure it's if you're a man, get the men's, and it goes uh, small yeah. to double X. Send us a picture with your nation uh, T-shirt. Yeah, we got on. our first picture in. Yeah, we sold over a hundred of these, and of course, five dollars goes towards uh, Charlie's Dinosaur, and that's uh, helping cops uh, help kids. Uh, let's get to Ron and Don's of five things here. And Bremner's going to stop by a little bit later, and a story that uh, maybe you don't know, and a lot of people don't know. And some people think this may be the reason that we were fired from Cairo Radio is the fact that we, Ron and myself, we sued council member, Seattle council member Sally Bagshaw. We sued her for something that was published in the Atlantic. We also, well, we sued the Atlantic. And you're not going to believe what happened when I went into the program director's office and I showed him the article from the Atlantic. You're not going to believe what he said. Ann Bremner is the one that deposed, stood toe-to-toe with Sally Bagshaw and asked her some really tough questions. And you're not going to believe what current, she's a current Seattle council member, not for long. I think she's going to retire this fall. You're not going to believe what she revealed to Ann. We'll talk about that in about 20 minutes right here. It's Ron and Don Radio on ronanddonradio.com. Ron and Don's Five Days. All right, one thing I've noticed is I've been driving around. Typically, you and I, because we're doing afternoon drive in radio, we weren't out there behind the steering wheel actually driving or piloting a car. And I'm spending more time doing that now and more time with my son that I actually really enjoy. I'm enjoying spending time with him, but I'm not enjoying spending all those hours on 405, on I-5, on Highway 2. I didn't realize. I just didn't realize because we were locked in this radio studio. How rough it is out oh there! Oh my gosh! For those I in agree. the Ron and Don Nation that are driving morning and afternoons, and you were listening to us the whole time, we had no idea the pain that you were going through, and now we have some kind of idea. So, what do you start looking for? You can sit there, you can complain, or you can start looking for tools. And Ron, there's a strategy, that, and this is a strategy that I actually use, and a lot of people think that this strategy we're going to share with you 
is the wrong strategy, is an illegal strategy, and yet this is a strategy that seems to work and the strategy that, uh, well, a lot of officials are encouraging, right? Yeah, Washington State is one of three states, along with Missouri and Kansas, that has officially adopted the German zipper merge technique. It's called the zipper merge. So I didn't know that Washington actually officially adopted this. So they have made a public stance that they would like to adopt this. And there is a steep learning curve. So here's what they've done in Germany. And for purposes of the Ron and Don Nation, we're just going to call it the zipper, the zipper. All yeah, right? the zipper, the zipper. You do the zipper or you, uh, do you embrace the zipper or do you think the zipper is is, is, is illegal, right? So let me, let me explain the, the standard protocol in the United States. There is a uh, a exit or a lane closure or something happening and you'll see like okay i have a quarter mile or a thousand feet and 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 something is going to happen so what we do now is everybody gets to the right Mm. and then there's one dude usually in a prius sometimes he's in a leaf that just stops in the second lane over yeah. and he puts his blinker on and then he just sits there sits there with the blinker on because he feels or she feels like it's the courteous thing to do especially if i'm in a hybrid to get over immediately so there will be 980 feet of open lane there but the leaf will put their blinker on and they will just stop and they everybody's piled up behind them you're getting because work, you're they, getting, they, work, getting worked up they're up, going Sean. to be courteous just, just talking about it I so they're going right to be courteous now. so that's yeah. how it happens and then Dude in his yellow charger yeah. will go out on the shoulder. Old school charger or new school charger? New school, old school, new either school. one. Okay. He will, uh, he's driving a Dodge. He's got a ball cap on. Yeah. He's listening to the Sammy Hagar. Hats maybe on backwards. Hats, hats on backwards. If it's the weekend, the hats on backwards. He's got a sure. pair of sunglasses on and yeah. then also an upside down pair of sunglasses on the bill of his hat. <laughs> a third pair of sunglasses around his neck. Turned No, and another pair turned around. Another his, turned around. Behind his so hat. he'll go out on the shoulder. Yeah. Take that 980 feet, and then there'll be 63 flip-offs, 14 honks of the horn, people rolling down their window to throw imaginary garbage at him. Everybody hates Charger Guy. Here's the thing. Leaf hybrid person is wrong. Charger Guy is right. So in Germany, what they've done is they've trained this, the zipper. Both lanes go to maximum speed available. So it could be 25, could be 30. Till the very end, and then at the front of the line. Wait, in Germany, how can 35 be the maximum speed? Well, that would be 40 kilometers okay. or whatever per sounds hour. Like a, if you're in Germany, it seems like 135. No, because there's there's still the impediment up there. Okay. So, But both lanes go as fast as they can possibly go. This is, is the not, zipper right which here. It's not super fast. And at the front, with German efficiency, yes. they like, <laughs> ut, die, 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 die. Like they, they zip. One guy, one lane, lane right, lane left, lane right, lane left, and it's just one after the next, really? and they just zip right into that whatever the opening is. Okay, everybody in Germany knows this is how you do it. Yeah, and it goes forty percent faster. Wow, than anything we do in the United States, and we're blaming the hybrid leaf guy for this most likely. Yeah. People, and so it's, that's the correct way to do it. So Washington's officially adopted this, but they say they can't educate people enough to abandon the flip-off mode and get into zip mode. Yeah, this is what I do because my exit is Mercer. So if I'm on I-5, I got to exit Mercer. And I do this with people in the car and they get really nervous. And then they see that it works 10 times out of 10 times. And oftentimes I end up adopting this. And my father, 
who was a truck driver and also was a firefighter. He's a paramedic. Before he became a paramedic, though, he used to drive the big engine in Gurney, Illinois. So my dad was a long-haul truck driver. He was a firefighter, and then he'd drive the paramedic aid car. So he did a lot of driving, and we go camping. Uh, we're always pulling a camper. He loved to drive. It was his thing. And what my dad would do is he would look for somebody that was driving like a log truck. And if you've ever, and you see this a lot in Oregon, if you ever get stuck on a mountain pass behind a log truck, you know how slow they're going. And by the time you scoot around the log truck and you get to the other side, you see all this space. There's like all this space. And you finally get to the other side. You're like, wow, if I knew all this space existed on the other side of the log truck, I would have passed the log truck. I would have the courage even in a double yellow. And I'm not encouraging people to do that, but I may have done this uh, once or 379,000 times. When you get on the other side of the log truck, no matter what it takes, I never pass on the right, but I'll pass on the left. And sometimes I'll go double yellow. And again, I'm not encouraging people to do this, but you, you, get, you, on are the, a skilled driver. you get on the other side. You're practically a professional You're driver. born free. When you get to the other side of the log truck, you feel like you're born again, you're born free. Uh, it turns you into an evangelical driver, if you will. You find Jesus, it's the whole thing. Do you, do you remember your dad's CB handle? What's that? His CB handle? Yeah, he was Gordon Lightfoot. Okay, because my dad was Silver Streak. I don't know if they ever CB'd with each other. Yeah, so, so, so anyway, what I do when I'm getting off at Mercer is a lot of times you won't see a log truck, but there's so many distracted drivers out there. There's somebody that is driving like a log truck. A de facto log truck. Yeah, so what I do is I will scoot over to the right, and I will go 60, 65 miles an hour, and then right right at the end, right at the end where you're supposed to jump off, and there's just a long line of cars. There's always, 10 times out of 10, there's an opportunity to scoot in, and you're right. And, and here's the thing, don't signal. Do not signal when you do it. When people see you signaling, then they scoot up or they right. start driving faster and they won't let you in. The best thing that you can do is just scoot over, keep going, and then as soon as somebody starts to flip you off, what do you do? You give them the wave. You wave. Because you know what? You can't be mad and you can't flip off somebody that just waved at you. It is impossible. And I have seen people go up to try to give you the 21-gun salute, and the hand is going up, and the next thing you know, it's, it's converted. The middle finger is going up, and then it converts to a wave once you give them a wave. So, again, uh, you call it the zipper. Call it driving like a log truck, but the bottom line is this. It works, and if you're just sitting there on I-5 getting off at Mercer and you see some fool flying by in a forerunner, Guess what? It's Don of the Ron and Don Show. Let's get to story number two in Ron and Don's Five Things. You should buy a shirt. It's the Ron and Don Nation t-shirt. Five dollars goes toward helping kids. It's cops helping kids. Find out more at ronanddon.com. My dad is back. Like it or not, you're listening to the Ron and Don Show. You can find the guys at ronanddon.com. All right, Ron and Don's up. Five things brought to you by who? Ron and Don. Yeah, we are licensed brokers now, powered by Windermere. And all you have to do is go to ronanddon.com right now if you are looking to buy or sell a home. You see Ron at open house. <laughs> Don't leave any food in the covers because they'll eat it all. They'll clear out your refrigerator, too. That's the only reason he does open house, to eat your food. So if you want Ron to come and eat your food. And help you sell your house anywhere in the Pacific or the specific Northwest. Ronadon.com, Ronadon Radio.com. Uh, anyway. 
Ron, what thing are we talking about here? Uh, I want to get your take on this because I, I seriously, you're going to laugh, but I seriously considered this uh, and I seriously looked into figuring out if I was able to do this. Have you heard of the new travel craze? Uh, they're calling it um, extreme life coaching. Extreme life coaching. So here's how yeah. this works. Uh, there's a couple outfits that are doing this. One of them's in the UK, one of them's in the US, uh, but basically... It's for wealthy people, and I didn't want to do it as a client. I wanted to see if I could get on as a guide. And so the one that just got written up in the Condé Nast Travel Magazine is called uh, Extraordinary Adventure Club. And so for the way it works is for six months, you go on a, a curated adventure. Uh, and there's a guy named uh, Callum Morrison. He's a former Royal Marine. He founded this thing. And so he brought together a team. There's mentors, there's psychologists, there are survival experts, whatever your adventure is going to be. You go to a training course and then you pay $265,000 and you get a custom six month adventure. You better for $265,000. For $265, you, you better get a custom 60 year adventure for right. that kind of money. That, that is crazy. Crazy. So there's a couple that they talked about. One of them is you go off the grid with Mongolian camel herdsmen in <laughs> Mongolia. And so imagine this. You take a hedge fund guy. You take yeah. a guy that made millions in a dot-com or whatever, and now he's burnt out. Uh, he is having a midlife crisis, and he pays this two hundred sixty-five grand. You go to Mongolia. And so I, wasn't, I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to be the guy taking the guy around the world. And so it can be anywhere from Mongolia. You can go to South Africa. One of them is you uh, ride in a uh, battered four-wheel drive from Johannesburg to Khartoum. Uh, again, around 265 grand to do these trips. Has to be battered. Uh, it has to be battered. It has to be battered. And so along the way, though, and this is the interesting part. So along the way, these psychotherapists and scientists and the mentors, like they really do want to use this time uh, to help these people discover something about themselves and so if they've been through if you think about it and i haven't been exposed to this world a lot but we we've had a chance to meet some people that are pretty high flyers in this world if you are a someone that did make a lot of money in a tech boom or you did uh, buy into the a stock at the right time and now you find yourself in your 40s or you invested in real estate and you bought a bunch of buildings or you bought a you know you've did a bunch of flips and now you find yourself it's like okay i'm set i don't really have to work anymore if i don't want to a lot of times uh, or professional athletes they retire and they're like okay now what do i do i've been doing for 25 years i've been focused on this one thing i did it at the highest level and now that's over I think that's a really interesting person, and I think it's a really interesting thing to try and crack that for them and say, tra like, like, because travel to me does this. When you take somebody out of New York City or you take somebody out of San Francisco, you take someone out of uh, South Lake Union in Seattle, and you do put them in Mongolia – and you see how these Mongolians live, and you see what they eat, and you see how happy some of them are. You see what it's like to do a uh, work of a herdsman. It changes you, and it changes your worldview. It changes your perspective. It changes your value on things. And I know the price tag is laughable, but there was something about this that was like I would, I could see myself. Uh, and I don't know if I'm a qualified mentor or a qualified 
psychoanalyst or whatever, but I could see myself on the on the other side of this taking a man or a woman who's achieved at the highest level and saying, okay, we're going to go to Vietnam and live in a village, or we're going to go to South Africa and drive through the desert. We're going to go to Mongolia and we're going to figure out what it is that we can learn from these life experiences. And you know what, what I think happens a lot of times when you talk to people that have traveled or, and, and certainly I don't think any of us could sign up or most of us could sign up for something that was $265,000. I don't think you have to spend that much dough. I, I, I do think, though, when you go on this quest to find out more about yourself, uh, what you figure out, because we, we've always heard since birth that you can't take it with you. You just can't. And it really doesn't hit you until you get a little bit older and you start losing friends and you start losing family members. And then you go to a celebration of their life. And a lot of times now we see this with first responders where they will have a celebration. And a lot of times these first responders are surrounded by the things that they cared about. So if they were into dune bugging, a lot of times there are dune buggies there. Or if they're into hunting, you'll see their rifle there. If they love their kids, there'll be pictures of their kids all over the place. And what you realize is their body lies in state. They couldn't take it with them. They couldn't take any of that stuff with them. And so a lot of times people go on this quest. And I think what they figure out is, I only have so much time left. Or as one of my friends said, you only have so many summers left. Think about that. How many summers do you have left? And what are you going to do with those summers? You can do so much of that with self-discovery. And then at some point, I think what people figure out is it's time to give it all away. Whether it's my stuff whether it's my knowledge, whether it's my love, when you travel around the world and you look at other places, you say, you know what, this place could use my and then fill in the blank. And I think that's why a lot of people, for instance, that travel to Africa, they come back and they're like, wow, most of the world doesn't have clean water. I got to figure out a way to get the world clean water. And that's something that I could do. Or a lot of young girls around the world don't have the education system that we have here uh, in the United States. How can we make sure that young girls are embraced and that they're educated? And you look at the model that Oprah has created, for instance. Uh, that's what happened to her. She traveled abroad. She went on one of these quests. So one of the and, she cr- came, and, she, and then she came back from that and she said to herself, how can I help young women around the world? And uh, that's what launched her on her current journey. So critics of this, and there was a big article in The Guardian, uh, looked at this, and they're like, hey, come on. They, they scoffed at the price tag. They scoffed at these one percenters trying to discover themselves, and they compared it to uh, everybody in the world now is a yoga instructor or a yoga instructor slash life coach, uh, and they because you know no, no regulation for that. You can just go out and be a life coach. And so they, they scoffed at it, and I get that, because if you're trying to be woke and if you're trying to check your privilege, you're trying to do all those things that are, are sort of in vogue right now. I understand how this looks. At the same, I'm torn though because I want to. So a lot of that stuff is true, and if you can blow 265 grand, you could probably go out and help a lot of people. I heard a guy that I listened to. Uh, his name's Brian Koppelman. He's a big time uh, television producer. He does a thing now because he loves fine dining. So when he goes out with Paul Giamatti and they go to a fine dining restaurant. He keeps the receipt, and then he donates that exact amount that he just spent on the fine dining restaurant in New York City on a uh, a feeding the homeless program. Mm. So he's like, I have the money. I've been very blessed to do well. I'm not going to give up this great meal and experience with an actor that I love or a director that I love, but I'm just going to match it. And so he tries to match it. And so I can see if someone... 
did the 265 to travel if they're that wealthy they could probably do 265 no. to a charity and does that balance it out i have to i have to say my wealthy friends uh are some of the greatest givers that i know and for a lot of them that weren't given their money that went out and earned their money they earn their money they're enjoying their money and i think that that's okay at the same time some of the greatest philanthropists uh, have money in the bank. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If we look at Bill and Melinda Gates, for instance, I think that's a great example right there. Hey, what are your thoughts, Ron? How can people reach out to us and also sign up for the Ron and Don Nation? We call it the Nation News, right? Yeah, you can get it at ronandonradio.com. You can sign up there and we'll send you, every time the show is going to drop, we'll send you an email. And then you can also email us directly, info at ronanddon.com. All right, info ronanddon.com. Don't forget... A new podcast, a new radio show drops every Monday morning. So make sure you check that out. And also want you to remember Ron and Don t-shirts right now. RonandDonRadio.com. $5 of every shirt goes to Charlie's Dinosaur. It's the Ron and Don radio show only on the Ron and Don radio network. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. All right, don't forget everything you can find at ronanddon.com. You'll find out more about Ron and Don Radio. Click on the microphone. You'll also find out that we are realtors, we are brokers, and we'd love to help you buy or sell your next home. If you want to know more about that, it's all powered by Windermere. That's also out there at ronanddon.com. Coming up. And Bremner's going to stop by. She is probably one of the greatest attorneys in the Pacific Northwest, or as my son likes to say, the Pacific Northwest. You see her a lot on national television, like on CNN and Court TV during the O.J. Simpson case, all that. And she's also been a guest on our show from time to time. Here's something that you don't know. A number of years ago, uh, there was something written about us, about Ron and Don, in The Atlantic. The publication called The Atlantic. There were some things written in there that Ron and I were not excited about. We went to our program director at the time. He said, you have my support. And we decided that we were going to sue The Atlantic and sue Sally Bagshaw. She's council member Sally Bagshaw from Seattle. You're not going to believe what happened when Ann Bremner sat down and grilled her. You are not going to believe what Sally said. That's coming up in 10 minutes right here on the Ron and Don Show and the Ron and Don Podcast. And, Ron, for those people that are listening right now that aren't familiar with podcasts, what's a good way to find us and a good way to help us? Hit the subscribe button, right? Yeah, hit the subscribe button. I mean, most of the time, uh, people are going to be on Apple. If you have a, an iPhone, you just there's a po- it's already on your phone. It's a purple icon. It says podcast. You hit, hit that thing, yeah. and people are going to go, whoa, what's going on here? There's a, there's a little magnifying glass, so you hit the purple icon. Then you hit the magnifying glass. Then you type in Ron and Don Radio. It comes up. You hit subscribe. If you're a frequent podcast listener, it's on all the other ones too. Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, Anchor was the one we hosted on. So it's available everywhere. But most folks, I think, in the Ron and Don Nation are going to be on uh, your phone. And then here's the amazing thing. And this goes out to my buddy Gary. He's like, can I listen in my Lexus? Yeah. And I said, yes. And he goes, how do I do it? (laughs) So he called me and I said, Gary. Yeah. Hit the Bluetooth. Where's the Bluetooth button? I go, it's going to say FM 
AM Bluetooth. Oh, I see it. I said, hit Bluetooth. So he hit Bluetooth. I said, now hit play. He's like, oh, my God. You guys are on in my car. So your phone can sync up to, if it's a modern car, yeah. in the last, you know, five years or so. Your phone's just not a phone it's anymore. It's going to say AM, FM, yeah. Bluetooth. Hit Bluetooth. And then you can hear it in the car. All right, very good. And Bremner here in a couple minutes. I, you are a rule follower. My son, uh, G-Force, is a rule follower, eh, too. Most of the time. Got a question for you. I do some house hacking where I live in a house and I'll work on the house at the same time. And then a lot of times what I'll do is I'll do a short-term or a long-term rental in the same house while I'm living there. And what I try to do, what I attempt to do, is not have a mortgage payment. I let somebody else make my mortgage payment. That's what I currently do, and it's a good way. It's a good way, especially in Seattle, where it's so expensive, so expensive to live. It's called house hacking. And if you're more interested in, if you're interested in house hacking, reach out to me and I'll show you and share with you how you can do it. Anyway, I built this house a number of years ago. And every morning, a young man by the name of John Smith would come and run his lines at 6.40 in the morning. Do you know what running your lines are? Uh, basically, you can't start pounding nails in the particular neighborhood that I was in until 7 o'clock. But he was always on point, always on time, and he had these big steel-toed red wing boots that he would wear, and I would be down below in the basement. And that's how I would wake up every morning. That's how G-Force would wake up. You would hear John's boots going clippity-clop, 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 and you knew John was about to get to work at 7 o'clock. And then just all hell would break loose for over a nine-month period. Uh, all hell would break loose, but it never bothered me. 701, here come yeah. the nails. It never bothered me because I knew that he was, he was building this really cool house. And so recently, though, I decided, I decided what I was going to do is short-term rent out this same part of my house, and I was going to live down below. And one of my friends warned me, he said, hey, you know what? You have to be careful. When people come into your house, if you don't let them know what the rules are and what the expectations are, he said, they're going to break those rules and expectations. So, for instance, if you have really good neighbors and you want to continue to have really good neighbors, make sure if they're outside and they're having a party or a gathering or a family feast that they bring that in by 10 o'clock. And he said, post those signs on the windows and people will do it. And you know what? I've done that and people do it. 9.59, people roll inside and there hasn't been a complaint for the neighbor. He said, the other thing that you need to tell people is, hey, do your dishes and make sure that you wash your towels. And sure enough, people always do their dishes. They always wash towels i said what about i have these really soft beautiful wood floors he said you have to put signs up and you have to let people know that this is a house where you don't wear shoes i put the signs up the signs are up all over the house three or four signs and i'm down below i did down below and every single person family that has stayed here it sounds like john's construction boots it's clippity clop clippity clop clippity clop and I want to go up there and say, you are not walking around with socks. You have your high heels on. You have your dress shoes. Because people are usually getting ready to go to a wedding. And they don't know that I'm actually, it's me that's living down. They know there's someone down there, but they don't know the homeowner is down there. It's driving me absolutely nuts. So what I did is I went and I made more signs. Now there's 10 signs up around the house. Because I thought, you know what? Maybe they just don't see the signs. Anywhere you go in the house, you are reminded that this is a house where you're not supposed to wear your shoes. And this morning I woke up, Clippity Clop, Clippity Clop. It sounded like John's boots. And there were people up there, they were having breakfast, and everybody had their shoes on. It sounded like not only did they have their shoes on, but they had shoes on their hands. There were so many shoes, it was unbelievable. So I shared this with a friend of mine, Jennifer, who rents out of space. And she said, you know what you should do? Well, let me ask you. Before I tell you what she said, 
what would you do, Ron? Would you go knock on the door and enforce the rules? Because they're following all the other rules about the towels and about the dishes and about bringing your gathering inside by 10 o'clock at night. But there's a lot of clippity-clop going on with shoes, and people are not obeying the shoe rule at my house. It's driving me nuts. You're not going to like my advice. Yep. I am a shoe-on family. Oh, you are? I, I, I gave up on that thing. You did. Uh, and I just I, I let people wear their shoes. You do. Because most here's the thing that you don't, you don't understand. There's a lot more people than you realize that have foot odor insecurity okay and they think uh they they know that their feet stink they do especially and women like to think oh i only smell like potpourri and roses yeah if you have a a a female foot shoved inside of a of a stiletto all day it stinks i don't care what you do glad i asked i don't care how the little socklet thing that you think you're wearing you're setting me free right now this totally changing my view on this if, if you smelled some of those stilettos that yeah. look so sexy, you're smelling they women's stink stil- you're, to high heaven. You're smelling women's stilettos. I'm saying I've said that's, that's, that's podcast number that's three. That's podcast number three. Yeah. So there are many more people than you think that have uh, odor insecurity. And then there's a subset that have sock insecurity. Okay. They know either A, my socks don't match. I do that sometimes. B, but I'm not insecure about it. I got a hole I own, in my, I, I own that. I got a hole in my sock. Okay. Or C, I'm wearing white socks with like dress pants and I can't take this off because I'll look like that guy. Okay. So I, I just was like, you know what? Wear your shoes. Yeah. It's not a big Floors are meant to be walked on. Like if you're running through the mud or whatever, take them off. But if you're just like going from the car to the house, yeah. leave your shoes on. Uh, Jennifer told me she has a number of rentals and uh, she's one of my partners in real estate. She said she was having a hard time enforcing those rules and also the towel rules. She said, you know what hotels do? is they put up signs, and she said, think about this. They were having a hard time getting people to embrace uh, embracing the fact that you should recycle your towel instead right. of having a new towel. Multi-use. So then what they did is they put up signs, and they said most people, what most people do is they decide that they want to help the earth and that they're going to recycle a towel two to three times. And all they do is inform you what most people do. And as a result of that, Towel recycling went up 63% in hotels around the world when they presented it to people that way. So I think what I'm going to do, and I'm going to report back, I'm going to change the signs because I think I've been going at this. I've been telling people what the rule is. You want to know what the other tip is? And what I don't say is, hey, most people, most people take off their shoes when they enter my house and they love the owner is living downstairs and goes to bed at 9 o'clock every night with a 9-year-old. What do most people do? It's the Ron and Don Show on ronanddon.com. My dad is back. Like it or not, you're listening to the Ron and Don Show. You can find the guys at ronanddon.com. All right, a number of years ago, a article was written in the Atlantic. Yeah, that Atlantic, right? Very well respected. And in fact, over the years, Ron and I have always used the Atlantic as a resource on the Ron and Don show when we prep for a radio show. You yeah, really- it's one of the most respected uh, publications in U.S. history. I mean, it goes back over 100 years. Yeah. So there's something, if you're new to Seattle, there was something happening in the city. Uh, and this was before the Seattle City Council. And it had to do with the stadium boat. And Bremner 
is here. We're going to talk to her in a moment because she was an attorney that represented us because we ended up suing one of those council members for something that they said about us, and we sued the Atlantic, too. And we're going to tell you what happened when Ann grilled Sally Bagshaw, council member Bagshaw. We'll get to that in a moment. But first... Uh, we'll just set the scene. The, yeah. Seattle used to have a, an NBA basketball team. It's called the Supersonics. Uh, they ended up being sold by Howard Schultz, the owner of Starbucks, uh, to a guy that married into the Walmart family. Fa- fa- uh, fortune and they moved it to Oklahoma City uh, and so ever since that happened many people in Seattle wanted a team wanted the Sonics back in Seattle so one of these guys is a San Francisco man that grew up here uh, named Chris Hansen uh, and uh, he runs a hedge fund and so he started buying up land uh, right south of the baseball stadium. And he wanted to build a stadium there and try to get the Seattle Supersonics back. And so he made plays uh, with Chris Ballmer, uh, or not, is with Steve Ballmer. Uh, like he tried to buy the Sacramento Kings. He tried to buy the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, he tried to get an existing team and bring them back to Seattle and be the owner of the team. And so the plan was, we're going to build this basketball stadium before we even have a team. Maybe we could get hockey, but we don't know. But he just wanted a team. He thought, if I build it, they will come. And so he bought up all of that land, these old warehouses and industrial stuff down there. And he needed one thing uh, to go through and start developing the land. And that was there's a street that goes through there, Occidental. Uh, and he needed the city to grant him permission to basically vacate Occidental. That's right. And so that was the big vote. Behind the scenes, Seattle was the owner, basically, of what has always been called Key Arena. And so it would be an albatross to them if a brand new arena opens up somewhere else. They would have no tenant, no future, and no concerts would want to be in that uh, in the Key because everybody would go to the new arena. And so it was politically untenable to vote for this new private enterprise when everybody in the city knew that they were responsible for this lease that they signed when the Supersonics were here. There was a horrible lease for the city, and so they inherited this big albatross known as the key. So that was sort of the backdrop to what happened. So it it came to a vote. And the the vote was, do we vacate Occidental and basically give it to Chris Hansen? He will then build a basketball arena. Or do we not? If the the vote goes against that that street vacation, it, it grinds that project to a halt. So the vote happened. And what was unique about this vote, Ron? Well, it didn't pass. And there were people vociferously supersonic fans that were going crazy about this. And there were people, a lot of them backed by the, uh, what's the the shipping union there? The one with all the cranes. I'm trying to, the... the uh, Longshoremen. Longshoremen. Longshoremen yeah. were like vehemently opposed. And so uh, it was highly contested. It broke strictly along gender lines. With, with the council All members. the women in the, the council, council voted yeah. no. And all of the men voted yes. So it, it failed by one vote. The, the street was not vacated the female contingent won. so we were doing afternoon drive at this time and do you remember what i said and we've gone back and we have listened to the tape and we had attorneys the atlantic uh the city of seattle asked to listen to this tape because what did i say when i was doing afternoon drive on cairo do you remember yeah, you said that you are with the ladies on this for a simple reason be, because there's no team 
And yeah. you, I think you said, if we had a team, then I'd be open to the other side of this vote. But there is no team. Yeah. And, and because we worked in sports radio for a long time, you knew that the team was not moving here. There wasn't an expansion team on the horizon and that no other NBA team was available because Steve uh, Ballmer then bought the, the Clippers for the record price. Sacramento Kings stayed in Sacramento and the guy that uh, owned the Milwaukee Bucks uh, made it clear that the Mil- Milwaukee Bucks weren't moving. So there was no team to be had. Yeah. So there's a picture in the Atlantic of some really angry supersonic fans. And then the title in the Atlantic says, what happens when female politicians try to stand up to sports fans? Seattle's majority, uh, the women on the city council, block construction on a sports stadium, and things got ugly. Okay. So remember this as we tell you this story. I supported Sally Bagshaw, council member Bagshaw. She is my council person. And I supported her privately and publicly on the radio. On this vote. On this vote. But then this is what she had to say about us, and this is what she had to say about me. This is what she told Erica Barnett in The Atlantic, and this is what Erica Barnett wrote. And let me just read from it. Sally Bagshaw, a soft-spoken 65-year-old council veteran who voted in 2012 for an agreement to use public bonds to finance a future arena, but opposed the street use change last week, has been hit particularly hard by the misogyny firehose. After Bagshaw cast an initial committee vote against the change in April, here it is. Two local FM radio shock jocks, known on air as Ron and Don, started giving out Bagshaw's number on the air and relentlessly urging listeners to call her office. They complied, leaving messages Bagshaw summarizes as, you C-word, you whore, you B-word. You don't know anything. You're just having an emotional response. That's why we need to have guys making these decisions. For now, she says, her office no longer takes calls during drive time. They go on to say, I can't imagine anyone saying to a woman the kinds of things that they said to us. Do they say this to their sisters, to their mothers, to their wives, Bagshaw says. I just got to a point last week where I'm going, holy S-word, how did we get to this point in our community? A downtown Seattle resident for the past 16 years, Bagshaw says this is the first time she felt remotely afraid walking home without a police escort. I thought, what if a bunch of gooner drunks came out of one of those bars as I walked by and recognized me? And it made me mad because in all those years, I've never found myself in a position where I had to worry. Lorena Gonzalez, a freshman council member who cast the final decisive vote against the alley measure, said that as women of color and the city's first Latina council member, she was taken aback by the sexist comments too, and she's more accustomed to racism. The backlash was a wake-up call that even in liberal Seattle, Women have a long way to go before they're fully respected as public leaders. We have achieved a lot in the movement for women's rights in our country and certainly in our city, but that doesn't mean the sexism is dead. It just means that it's a sleeping dog. And when that sleeping dog is kicked, suddenly it bites you and you're reminded that the dog has it's important to note too that all the words that you bleeped out those were printed the full words were printed in the atlantic yes ron and i 
started getting phone calls. We started getting hate mail. We started having people reach out to us from all over the country. The first thing that I did is I walked into my program director's office at Cairo Radio, and I just said, hey, I need some help here. I don't know what's going on. So we had a conversation. And when this article came out in The Atlantic, the program director at the time, he said, I'm not an attorney, and I can't tell you what to do. But he encouraged me. He said, if you sue Sally Bagshaw and you sue the Atlantic, he said, let me check in with Salt Lake City. I'll get back to you. But you have my support. So I had the program director's support. He called Salt Lake City. He checked in with the attorneys there. He got back to me a number of weeks later. And he said, you know what? We're not going to pursue legal action. But we have your back if you do. He said he talked to the man upstairs and also checked in with the attorneys in Salt Lake City. That's when we called Ann Bremner. And we said, you know what? We want justice. These things that have been printed, we want these things retracted. And we want to make sure. Well, not only is it not true, we can prove that it's not true. Yeah, not only do we want these things retracted, but we want an apology. That's when Ann went to work. And Ann is here now. Ann, take it from here as far as this story goes. Have I got anything wrong so far? No, and I want to say first what an honor it is to be on with you and so thrilled about you that you're rising again. Um, and the nation is grateful. It's all excellent. You know, you got everything right, and they got everything wrong in the article. And um, as Ron said, it was demonstrably false. Nothing in the article is true that was attributed to you or actions that were attributed to you or statements attributed to you. And you're the antithesis of that kind of a person anyway. Um, supportive of women, supportive of diversity, uh, and everything else. And this article, the headline basically was, Can You Believe in Seattle? And in places liberal Seattle that people act like this, i.e. you two, misogynist, using the C word, using the B word, you know, et cetera. So that's the way it was set up. So, and there's a common belief that if you're on the radio, that someone can say anything they want about you at any time. Right. Well, it's a common belief, but it's wrong. The whole issue with a public figure, it's um, United or it's New York Times versus Sullivan is the case that says, if you're a public figure, you can still be libeled, you can still be defamed if the person that does that acts with actual malice. And so that's, it's just a higher standard with public figures for defamation. And defamation consists of libel, which is the written word, and slander, which is the spoken word. So with this, um, of course, we went forward. There was a deposition of Sally Bagshaw. I went back east and, and met with folks from the Atlantic. I know that you had input to them, and you've been always very, very impressive and handled this extremely well. The issue was, how could this have happened? How could these statements have been made when they're completely false? And, and I, I would like to point out at this time, mm -hmm. when this was happening, the fake news movement was just emerging as an as an international worldwide phenomenon, right. this concept. So when that when this was bubbling up, because this is I don't know the date on the story, but when when this was bubbling up, the fake news thing was just emerging and there was a whole movement or a feeling when it came to the New York Times, the Washington Post uh, on one side and the Atlantic would group themselves with those folks. And then you would have on the other side, you know, the Breitbart's of the world and the Fox News of the world, uh, let's say, where they're like, we're not like them. 
we're, we don't traffic in fake news. And so that was also important to me mm-hmm. uh, because if you're going to tout yourself as we've been this voice of reason for over 100 years, mm-hmm. we're not part of fake news. And there's something that is, is so demonstrably fake news that it was like, what is what is happening? Because yeah. like Don said, I'm getting like personal calls to my cell phone. Yeah. And it's like, no, like it's, it's not, I can prove that that's not true. And I was very comforted by the radio station, by the conversation of the program director at the time, the Mm -hmm. the fact that he told me that he called Salt Lake city, that he called the attorneys there, that he talked to our vice president at the time and said, you know what, even though we're not going to sue the Atlantic and sue Sal, we have your back. We're going to support you. And they said, is this something that's going to end up in the newspapers? And I said, you know what, that's not my desire. My desire isn't for this to be drug out in the newspapers. Because I know for Sally Bagshaw, she's done a lot of good things. Mm -hmm. For the city of Seattle, she's done a lot of good things for my neighborhood. And to this day, I don't have any hatred or dislike. Mm -hmm. I don't like what Sally did. Mm -hmm. I don't like the fact that that was printed. And when my son would get older one day, he would read that and think those things about me. Or the fact that there were people all over the country Mm -hmm. that don't know who we are, that don't live in this Mm -hmm. community. Things started getting shared on blogs. And the fact that she just didn't want to have a conversation and apologize to us, that's what really bothered me, and that's what I was looking for. So at the time, mm-hmm. I was appreciative that our employer was like, you know what? We have your back. We're with you. We support you as you guys walk forward on this. So they knew that we were having these uh, discussions with you. Mm-hmm. Let's talk first and foremost, because I know we have to be very, very careful about what the outcome was here. What can we say in our conversations with The Atlantic and with Erica Barnett, who actually wrote this story and fed this story to The Atlantic? What can we say legally about that? Well, what, what we can say is that this, The Atlantic was founded by Benjamin Franklin and Ralph Waldo Emerson. I mean, talk about non-fake news, right? Right. I mean, that's about as um, impressive as you can get for founders and for a storied history that they've had, and deservedly so. I say that because what happened in this case was they took a story from a blogger. You know, that's really what it was. Um, Erica Barnett is a blogger. C is for Crank is the name of her blog. And she had written this story and submitted it to The Atlantic. And they took that story. It's our position. It's been our position. They took that story without vetting it, without fact-checking, you know, without looking at any of the underlying quote-unquote facts or fake news that was before them. What we can say is, is that both of these cases have resolved um, we can also say that there were depositions taken, and I can talk about the content of those. And we can also talk about the fact of what Erica has said publicly about this. And Sally Bagshaw has not said publicly, but Erica has. And the first thing she said out in her blog, and later it was on Reddit, was this. Everything in my article, or what I wrote in my article, I, it came from Sally Bagshaw. This is what Sally Bagshaw told me. I'm starting with that because that's an important premise, that what she says here. This is the source, is Sally Bagshaw, and she has said that publicly. When I took the deposition of Sally Bagshaw, she said a number of things, including, and by the way, she's the representative of my district as well on Queen Anne, and I think she's done wonderful work. Yes. Um, so what she basically said was that she, um, that Erica's not dishonest. Um, Erica, if she stated that, would be stating the truth, what I just mentioned. She said that she's not read the article. She's, she's never read the article in The Atlantic. She did say that she did confer with Erica when Erica wrote the article. She said she had a number of conversations with her. She admitted to certain statements in this article potentially being attributable to her. Others she couldn't remember. Some she disavowed. She said that 
the calls that were coming into her office purportedly referred to you at some point. She never heard those. And her staff never said independently that they had heard you say those things. She's never listened to Ron and Don. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> she should, um, but it, she she never has. And then finally, as you said, she didn't apologize. Um, she didn't retract. Um, the, the Atlantic did, as you know. Was there, did, did you uncover any attempt to verify any piece of information? Because like when we were at the radio station, I was a part of many stories where if you heard something, you had to verify it. Like you, you had, if you're going to file a report right. on the air, you would, so-and-so said this, well, is it true? So you would go to the source, especially if a source is a broadcast that you could just listen to. Right. I don't think from what I learned in this case on your behalf, there was nothing done to verify anything. They could just listen to the podcast where, where Don said, I'm with the ladies. They could have just gone and looked at and listened to any podcast from you. Did you talk about the vote? Did you talk about the women? Did you say any of those things? Because that's what it says in the article that you did that you were telling your listeners to call up sally bagshaw call up women and 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 say ugly words to them about this vote zero evidence of that and the fact is that nothing exists because it never happened no because i supported her in the vote and that right that actually existed yes. so you could go back and you could listen to it and right. you could hear me live on air as the vote went down uh supporting mm -hmm. her so what, what was it like to sit with sally because she went to stanford you went to stanford I did, yeah. uh and she is they they paint her to be this old rickety woman I know. she's a stanford attorney right. i mean sally knows what time it is she is super sharp mm -hmm. when when you when when you sat and you deposed her what what was that experience like well she's 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 very bright and she's very capable and she's she's clearly not um, a shrinking violet or an old lady or anything like that. I mean, they did put her like in, in th that description, and they did talk about her being fearful about being down in Belltown, I think she said at night, that kind of, kind of getting a spidey feeling, I think she said in her depth, when being alone at night because of this atmosphere of hatred over the vote against her and the other women. But she... She was smart. Um, she was to the point. She didn't um, elaborate much. It's kind of what we tell lawyer lawyers tell clients in depositions: don't volunteer too much, don't speculate, etc. And she clearly, as a lawyer, um, followed her own and probably her own her lawyer's advice to be brief as possible. But she did talk about. I think what's really important in this case is there was conflating I, I think going on and we've talked about that remember brian williams used that word com yeah. conflating but it started with a lot of backlash from the vote it was from a lawyer named jason feldman there was an email he sent saying you women should do best when on your knees um you should just do yourself a favor and do away with yourselves you took something very important away from me it was a horrible email um he was up in snomish county and there was that and then a lot of anonymous calls and, and comments and emails against the women that were misogynistic, that, made, that had the vote. That's when Erica Barnett started writing about those things. And then there was a movement like, we're getting these calls. Maybe we should go to the police. We need the support of the council. We can't be treated like this. It's starting to feel um, unsafe, etc. So there was that whole wave. But somehow it was conflated to put you into that seat of these, you know, horrific people that were making comments and threats. Yeah, because there, there had to be a kernel of truth, because that makes sense to me. There yeah. has to be a kernel of truth in that somewhere. Right. And so it sounds like this, part of this really happened to Sally. Mm -hmm. Part of this, uh, what Erica's reporting may be correct. Mm -hmm. You just 
you 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 labeled the wrong people uh, in this instance. Right, and it, and she looked at the evolution of some of the blogging and some of the articles, and Sally blogged about it herself. And I asked her about these things in the deposition. Is that it started talking about people on sports radio? you know, being encouraged to be abusive. And then the sports fans were very upset, et cetera. And then KJR was mentioned, but not Cairo, you know, in any of these articles. And then you had basically going to drive time, calls, et cetera. By the way, the calls that were referenced were not saved, hmm. as I understand it. And there was no firsthand information from anybody on, on Bagshaw's staff saying that they knew about purported comments from you guys. And she has four staff members. Each council person has four staff members. And so that they were assisting um, throughout this and also assisted with a potential draft about what had happened, but that was never sent. And then you also know that um, you reached out, the cover reached out to her, and she declined to come on the air. Um, she did offer to have lunch with you, but had lunch with someone else mm. uh, at KJR. But no. she said she did not apologize to him. No. I think she was just really confused. Is 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 what I think. I think I think Sally was confused about this. I think something really did happen. Uh, then let's talk about what happened over Christmas because I'm standing at a baggage carousel and I am getting ready to go help my mother put her husband into hospice. And I get off the plane and I get these text messages. It's from the current programmer of Cairo Radio, and he is sending me text messages, and he wants to know why he is getting phone calls from the city of Seattle and the city attorneys and concerning suing Sally Bagshaw. And it is very apparent to me that he didn't know anything about us suing Sally Bagshaw, and it's like, I went to all my managers or to my one manager who went to the other managers a couple of years ago and got full support. And he said he went to Salt Lake City and he went to the vice president. You have our full support. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I get these text messages like, why are you suing Sally Bagshaw? What is going on with Sally Bagshaw? So somewhere, somewhere, this lawsuit got lost in translation at Cairo Radio. And I think, you know what? That probably could happen because mm -hmm. there's been a shift in managers there. So that makes sense to me. Right. That maybe he didn't know about it and it hasn't been on the front page. Of the, and I was trying to make sure that this wasn't on the front page of the Seattle Times. What I wanted, I wanted the Atlantic to retract mm -hmm. and I wanted her to apologize. Mm -hmm. And at the time that she asked us to go to lunch, it wasn't for an apology. It was for something else. And I'm going to go into that right now. That's all I was looking for. And we weren't looking to grill set. I could have picked up the phone and called Eric at the Seattle Times and said, Boyd, I got a story for you. We are suing council member Sally Bagshaw, and it's about the Atlantic and what was written. What was written. You, you know that in, in, in conversations that I wasn't looking to do that. And so all of a sudden, to have my employer not support me, I was like, oh, my gosh. And then, of course, weeks later, uh, we were fired from the radio station. And some people think that this might be the reason. I don't know. Let me ask you this, though. Why were city attorneys calling my boss at Cairo Radio? Well, that's a good question, and it happened more than once, as I understand it. And the way that we pled your case, 
it's going to sound kind of legal, but it was basically a um, defamation per se case, which means you you were damaged. It's per se showing you, you you have damage per se because she maligned you about your work. So we didn't have claims for emotional distress. We didn't have claims for lost wages. We didn't have claims for lost listenership. We didn't have any of those things. So it was very kind of just a very very narrow claim that we had of defamation per se. So therefore, there was no reason for the city attorney to start interviewing you know, potential damage witnesses or people that saw your emotional distress or whatever you know, at work, and there's clearly no reason to do so um, repetitively and, and to call your boss. And the timing uh, was such that that basically aligned with when, you've, when you got that call. And I don't understand that. Um, I, I think that that's the kind of thing that you have to be careful about as a lawyer um, on that side or on any side. To not interfere with the contractual uh, obligations and rights that people have um, in, in, their, in with their livelihood. So in our, my opinion, there was no reason to repeatedly get a hold of your boss and others. I think he just, he, he, he didn't, he didn't know. He's just seemed to be, wow, nobody, nobody told me that you guys were suing council member Sally Bagshaw, which is kind of a big deal when you, you, when your boss at the time. And also when lawyers in Salt Lake city, you feel like you have their support. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're hanging out there all by yourself and you, you can't allow a council member to go out and say that they feel unsafe walking home because your listeners are gooners and they called calling her a C word rhymes with, yeah, that, it's that word. Are you whore or you bitch? Uh, you, 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 you can't just let that go. We couldn't, we, 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 we just couldn't let that go. So, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing to me is, is, um, you know, you work hard to, to, to solidify your place in the community, in the Pacific Northwest. And we worked hard, I feel like, to, to become a fabric of that. And be no, the thing that we're known for, which I'm proud of, is like, hey, when stuff is going down, uh, and like we talked about Charlie's Dinosaur in episode one, run it on your guys. And it, so th- it's important to protect your reputation in that sense. Uh, when it comes time to turn to... Uh, an advertiser or to a partner in the community, you want them to feel unburdened, unencumbered, to wholeheartedly jump in and say, oh, so happened, Ron and Don, we partner with you. Uh, the You're going to Haiti, boom, I'm on board. No hesitation. And this is the type of thing for me that caused the potential for big-time hesitation and therefore would minimize our impact when, when it comes time, when it's go time, it's go time. Like you don't have time to massage everybody's ego. And, oh, that wasn't true. And then, and then someone like kind of goes, ah, I don't know. Go if time I want for to... what? I'm not sure. Let, let's say let, uh, uh, something happens in the community and, and people need help and we want to jump in there. Well, someone's hesitant on that because of this story. Yeah. Uh, they're never going to say that. I see. They're not going to come out and tell you. And so you just, they just fade away. And that's the thing that was bother worrisome to me. Where it's like, okay, we've built this uh, something pretty special with the Ronadon Nation. Is it just going to recede and no one's going to actually tell you why? And like you used to be buddies with X, Y, and Z, and now they just sort of don't answer your phone calls. And, and they're never going to tell you, oh, I read this thing in, in the C word? Yeah. Really? I invited her after reading this to come before we even looked at a lawsuit just to come on. 
mm-hmm. and have a discussion, mm-hmm. and and she wouldn't come on and have a discussion. That surprised me because because I again I see Councilmember Bagshaw as somebody that's done a, a lot of good things in the community, my community. I appreciate her service. Uh, this isn't personal, even though she got really personal with us. Right. Uh, and 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 I could see. I can see why she felt this. I can see her perspective. I can see why she felt this way. I can see why our current program director was mystified by this because years went by and it wasn't in the paper. And this was a couple of years ago. So that all makes sense to me. To this day, though, I, 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 when you say this about people mm-hmm. and you don't pick up the phone mm-hmm. and it's someone that you serve because I'm, I'm, I'm a citizen, too, and I'm in her district. I'm really surprised that she hasn't picked up the phone and said, hey, sorry. Uh, right. so, shouldn't shouldn't have said those things there, Coach Barnett, who ended up printing those things in the Atlantic. So I mean, sorry goes a long ways, and yeah. she's she said that I asked her, who else would have said these things to Erica Barnett? It, it looks like it all came from you. Is there another source? She didn't know of any other source. She was the only one. Given that, and given the things I learned in her deposition, and given the way this reads, I mean, you take your whole life to build a reputation, you lose it in a day. What is that quote? It says the time it takes the 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 the, 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 the truth to get around the world, the, the no, what to get a lie around the world. The truth is just still putting its shoes on. Oh. I mean, I mean, when you think I mean, those are so true. Yeah. So, and there was a draft apology, or at least a letter for her signature in some of the documents we had that was talked about conflating that that it was sports radio that it potentially was another um, station that it was somebody else and and that somehow. You know that that the, there was it was conflated. They'll say it. I mean, or go go sit down and talk on the phone, have lunch, come on the air, read the article, read the retractions. Even when the Atlantic retracted, there was an indication in some of the emails. That's what, we don't need to do anything else. So the Atlantic member did retract. You know that well. But the discussion was, well, there's nothing we need to do now, right. you know, on behalf of the of the council and Sally Bagshaw. I can't go into the specifics of it, but I have to say the Atlantic handled this beautifully, and I still read the, I still Atlantic, read the Atlantic, and I yeah. still, I, 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 there, there's a part of me, I trust the Atlantic, and at the same time, I want to make sure it's not some local blogger that they picked up and, and that they're publishing, and I think that's one of the reasons why, Ron, it's important for us to continue to pay for our journalism and in this case you have the atlantic that is this giant when it comes to journalism and they picked up a local blog not that there's anything with a local blogger uh but there's something to investigative journalism a guy like gary horker over at channel seven really taking the time amy clancy really taking the time to take the time it costs a lot of money to do so or even the seattle times well the other the takeaway for me was you make mistakes in in life own it yeah. When you make a mistake, say, my bad. I, I made a mistake. Yeah. Like that to me would have changed this entire narrative. Yeah. All right. You want to reach out to us? Uh, you have some thoughts on this. How can people uh, reach, reach Yeah, us info at ronandon.com is the email, and uh, that's the easiest way. We're on all the socials as well Facebook, uh, Instagram. You can find us there. Cool. And Bremner, if people want to reach out to you, I see you all over television uh, these days. What TV shows have you been on? Oh, I've been lo- doing Law and Crime. Looks like I'll do some court TV, and then we've, I've done some MSNBC. And of course, the best place is right here with Ron and Don. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I also wanted to say that, uh, you know, you guys are so great with Cause Radio and all the causes that you did, and that's part of what we used in communicating with the Atlantic. 
I agree with you. They, they really did a beautiful job at the ends. They did. But I, when I went through and listed everything you've done, every cause you've done, everything you've done for the Pacific Northwest, it's just been amazing. And so people are really grateful to you. And, you know, your, your reputations are soaring and intact. But something like that is really tough to go through. And I'm glad you're on the other side. Yeah. All right. And thanks for that. And Bremner.com, very active on uh, Facebook, too, aren't you? Yeah. Yes. Pictures of my cats. Yeah. There you go. Jimmy. How many Jimmys do you have? Is it Jimmy or Timmy? Jim, Jimmy. There's been about five or six Jimmys. There has been. Anyway. All right. If you got a pack, uh, cat picture, you want to send that to Ed, you can do that. If you have Please a legal do. question, uh, she's really generous with her time. You can reach out to her on social media, too. And, again, find her on Facebook. And thanks so much for uh, driving and being part of the Ron and Don Nation. And we're going to – we ha- just so you know, we have a Ron and Don Nation T-shirt ordered for Ann, and you can get yours too, Ken. Absolutely. RonandonRadio.com. Uh, we got all the sizes. $5 for every shirt goes to Charlie's Dinosaur. Yeah. All it's right. such well, an honor and pleasure to be on with you guys. Isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it wonderful. is an honor and a pleasure. Yeah, it yeah. is. All right. We will see you on the other side of this. You're listening to The Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network, ronanddon.com. All right, that's episode number two of The Ron and Don Show, our new podcast. You go to ronanddonradio.com right now. Find out everything about the radio show. Also, Ron and Don are brokers. So licensed real estate brokers with Windermere. You go to ronanddonbrokers.com or ronanddon.com covers everything, including our brand new shirt, the Ron and Don Nation T-shirt. Buy one of those, $5, goes to Charlie Dinosaur, and that's helping cops uh, help kids. You know, a way you could help us is even if you've listened to the show, there's a lot of people out there that are still looking for us, and there's a lot of people out there that don't understand podcasts. If you understand podcasts, here's a couple ways you can share it. And also, hitting the subscription button is really important, too. Right, Ron? Yeah, so we, we want to keep in touch with you and, and grow this audience. One of the things, and, and we mentioned it, I mentioned in the newsletter, our, our biggest social media platforms were taken away from us, uh, and we had worked a long time and worked very hard to maintain those and cultivate those. Tens of thousands of people, and we that was our radio family. And so it was just taken away. The, the passwords were changed, and, and we were not given access to those, uh, and that was pretty devastating. You can imagine if you're a business owner what that would be like your entire customer base is just taken away and so what don just said would really help us out and and like let's say that we have a thing called the ron and don nation news uh, the second edition dropped right before the show you can subscribe at ron and don radio.com and then the cool thing is when you get it it gives there's built-in buttons you can share it on facebook on instagram on linkedin uh a lot of people that may not be on the other socials might be on linkedin and so you can go out and share those things for us and then like you said the algorithms like at iTunes and Google Play and all these ones, YouTube, they like it when they see a surge of subscriptions, a surge of ratings, a surge of reviews. So those all help us out and they help us get our reach uh, on the social medias. Yeah. You may have heard of uh, our demise, but together we rise. It's the Ron and Don Show. And as we head toward podcast number three, we told you a number of months ago when everything went down in our lives. There's some other things going on that we haven't talked about much. One of those things is Ron went on this search for his birth mother, and he found her. Her name's Catherine. But we lost Catherine a number of months ago, right after the holidays. Ron went to see Catherine down in California, and we will talk death with dignity. We'll talk about his search for his mom and what was it like in those final moments and those final conversations with Ron and Catherine as she was surrounded by people that loved and cared about her. 
And also, Sean had to weigh, do I go there or do I stay here in Washington State? He's going to share that story with you coming up in podcast number three. Again, don't forget, be a part of the Ron and Don Nation. Buy the Nation t-shirt. $5 goes to Charlie's Dinosaur, helping cops help kids. Ronanddon.com. That's where you'll find everything Ron and Don. Thanks to the tens of thousands of you that have stopped by and discovered us. And don't forget, you can share it on iTunes and YouTube. Hit that subscribe button, and we really appreciate when you share the news that the Ron and Don Nation is back. We'll see you next Monday. A new episode drops every Monday morning at 6 a.m. It's the Ron and Don Show only on Ron and Don Radio.